You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 70 of the Comic Book Informer. We're coming to you on Thursday again this week, March 22nd. And as I'm sure our regular listeners would recognize at this point, normally every fifth episode, Roger's hosting. But we're mixing it up this week. I'm hosting this week, and I actually have a, well, he's definitely special, but not that kind of special. Hey! <laughs> our good friend Joe is uh, joining me for this episode. What's up, man? Oh, same old, same old, you know, ready to talk about comics and have fun the good old-fashioned way. Good stuff. So, when I found out Joe was going to be joining me this week, I decided it would be a good time to talk about some stuff that I couldn't talk about with Roger, because the entire <laughs> episode would just be him laughing at me. Or complaining about how awful your taste is. Well, he'll do that no matter what. Fair enough. <laughs> recommend great comics. Nah, it sucked. <laughs> And there's been an awful lot of talk, especially this past week, about taking old franchises, fan favorites, and making them new. And we're not going to get into this discussion, Joe. Just setting I'm this, setting this I, stage. I have, found, I have found my zen. It's okay. <laughs> but I actually wanted to cover taking two very popular childhood franchises from the 80s and seeing how they've been updated in the right way. And we're starting off with the new Voltron comic series from Dynamite yes. Entertainment. Now, I know you, you know, you grew up in the same era I did. Voltron is the greatest thing ever, right? Absolutely. Giant robots that combined to make bigger robots to fight evil other robots. Awesome. Needs more robots. That's the answer to Always. every problem in life. Everything. Unless you're Michael Bay. <laughs> you said you weren't going to do it, man. <laughs> I, was, I, I wasn't talking about that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so in the new comic, see, Voltron is a little easier to do than a lot of other franchises because there hasn't been a whole lot expanding upon the story we got in the original TV show. There's been a couple vain attempts at, you know, comics, and there was that crappy 3D sequel whatever thing series from a couple years ago that nobody really cared about. So... On the whole, it's kind of a blank slate for something to work with, and I really like what they did here. The new comic starts off back on Earth, which, mm -hmm. to my recollection, is not a place we've seen Voltron before. No, not at least this Voltron. Right. The, the only Voltron we saw was the one that contained 30-some-odd vehicles of various origin, so it's nice to see them kind of go back to Earth and do it justice this time around yeah the the old school voltron force arrives on earth in the somewhat near future 100 some odd years from now and they're fighting off the row beasts of zarkon and what made this really crazy from the start is you see voltron in the streets battling giant monsters and you see the entire voltron force on foot doing their mm -hmm. own thing and it was an absolute mind-blowing bit when they revealed that, at least here in the comics, Voltron is sentient. Yes, which was an absolute wonderful twist when you see, you know, Keith staring out and just like, yeah, I, I think he's mad. And you're like, <laughs> who's he talking about? Is it and then Lars? What's going on? It's like, it's like yeah, it's like, it's like Lars ticked off or something. And then it comes to this, it's like a close-in shot of like the face of Voltron. And you're just like, oh, no, they didn't. <laughs> 
And yeah, it, like it's just such an interesting twist because we've never really seen Voltron without the pilots. And you got to think that a robot that big, that massive would have to have some form of intelligence at that point. I mean, everything else does. Every other AI out there, the, the Robies and whatnot. So why not Voltron too? And amazingly, that wasn't even the biggest twist we got in the first issue. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> the, the story then flashes back to the year 2012, where you see the scientist and the president having this discussion about a terrorist attack in California. And the president reveals to him that it wasn't a terrorist attack. It was actually an alien attack. And he chose this particular scientist because he's the best in the field. He needs a way to defend Earth from future attack. So he assigns the task to none other than Dr. Zarkon. And for those who don't know, Zarkon <laughs> is the name of the evil king that they're fighting against in the future. Hmm. I wonder what this could be leading to. <laughs> I just right off the bat, they they diverged from anything that would have been expected, but in a way that's still respectful to the core franchise, which I really liked about that. Well, and the other thing about it, too, is I normally really despise time travel stories. Like, I have such a hatred for them, it's not even funny. But I'm looking at this one, and it's making sense. And that's one of the things, like, it's it's it makes sense for this type of franchise to kind of explore that avenue, right? To If Voltron's not going back in time, then, you know, who else really has the right? Because it definitely isn't anything written by Berman and Braga, let me tell you that. <laughs> but it was, and it was seeing Zarkon, too, as Dr. Zarkon. It's like, you always wonder where the heck he came from. You never really get a background story aside from he's just evil and has a whole ton of robeasts. Well... Now we're starting to find out. Mm -hmm. And the thing I really liked, going back to the whole sentient Voltron thing, is it allows us to see the Force operating on their own and mm -hmm. in combat effectively, which we never really got much of, and seeing a whole new side to their personalities. Like when they're trying to uh, escape in their ship, they have Hunk as the one who's doing all the navigational calculations, which you wouldn't expect given his character archetype. Meanwhile, the little kid Pidge and Princess Allura are the biggest <laughs> clean podcast they're, i'm trying to use the right they are they're gimli and legolas of the <laughs> voltron universe they're competing with each other for kills i mean that's awesome like they actually have a personality like that's the thing like every character has a distinct personality besides that one dimension we saw in the cartoons growing up and even in any original comics that we've seen or representations and Pidge seeing him like essentially be bloodthirsty at this point is ridiculous and awesome. And then seeing Princess just kick the behind of, of like, you know, everything and doing all these trick shots. I was blown away. Like, I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, I'm done. I'm sold. Every comic you guys make, I'm buying. That's it. I'm done. Yeah. And they just keep building on it. Uh, the past side of the storyline flash forwards a couple years where this alien representative arrives on Earth. We find out that it's this guy named Alec, and he's a representative for the planet of Eris. Again, mm -hmm. tying in with the original storyline, Eris is the planet where the bulk of the show took place. So we're seeing this connection in the past between the two worlds and coming to understand why Voltron was hidden way the hell out at the back end of the galaxy. It's also an interesting twist, too, because he's not what you would normally expect from somebody from Eris, either. He's not, you know, slow, kind of like normal human. 
and you get some, you know, glimpse at the power is that is behind this the the planet Eris and the people of Eris. Because when we saw them, they were beaten down, right? They were they were dirty, living in caves. They were, you know, under constant attack by Zarkon and couldn't figure out why. But now we know, and now we know that there's there's that link that spans all the way back. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm trying to pull up what his title was when he announced himself, but he's like the Grand Wizard, like combat magician of eras, like something crazy like that. And now we're getting another interesting spin on it, where in the past, you know, it was all the Voltron Force was the height of technology. You know, they they had the best robots fighting against Zarkon, who had the Witch Hagar, and it was some more <laughs> supernatural, like, magic sort of elements. And they're wrapping that back around and bringing the magic side of things over to Voltron. And especially once we find out that the sentient uh, force inside of Voltron is none other than Alec, and that he worked together with Dr. Zarkon to build the machine. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just, if you're a fan of the original IP, it's highly recommended. As I said, they treat it respectfully, but aren't afraid to do new things that, uh, this isn't like little tinkering in three issues. Mm -hmm. It's been mind blowing moment after another of just building and stacking up the bricks to set this up. Oh, absolutely. And it makes me look forward to, and I'm just going to mention this very, very quickly, um, starting in April, we're actually getting Voltron Year One from the same people that are putting out the current Voltron comic. I can't wait to see that, too, and how the two are going to sort of coincide. Yeah, that's the story we're getting of the uh, Galaxy Force, whatever, basically the Voltron Force before they became the Voltron Force. The Space Explorer Squadron number 686, thank you very much. You had that written down somewhere, didn't you? Uh, no, I actually just memorized that. <laughs> That's how much of a dork I am for this show. Come on. You heard it here, folks. There's somebody worse than me. <laughs> Barely. We all have our moments. It's okay. All right, so setting aside Voltron, we're going to move over to part, quite possibly the 80s franchise for little boys. And, of course, that's Transformers. Now, Trans oh, Transformers has been putting out comics for, I mean, ever. Like they hugely popular in the 80s, and it's been rebooted, and the rights have been sold left and right. But since it came to IDW a few years back, they've been doing some really cool stuff with it. Uh, they started off this series called All Hail Megatron, which was tying in the G1 storyline with some twists, but acceptably ones. Acceptably, yes, acceptable ones. <laughs> <laughs> that basically was Megatron's domination of the humans of Earth. It was, I think, 24 issues of the Decepticons just being as horrible as possible before the Autobots could oh, God, show yeah. up and finally save the day. It was awesome. And it led into... Oh, and awesome. Yeah. I mean, come on. The, the cover for their first issue is Megatron standing on top of a heap of rubble with an American flag in the background and Optimus Prime's head on a stick. <laughs> the All Hail Megatron series led into a relaunch of a new ongoing Transformers, which was really cool, dealing more with the Autobots trying to coexist alongside the humans in a world that hated and feared them. They're the X-Men. Let's go with that. And it was really good <laughs> up to a point, and they started getting into this big complex storyline, tying in stories from years previous, I think that were even published by a different company. I can't even remember at this point. And it got a little convoluted and weird. 
but it led to uh, to a point where another relaunch was possible. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that storyline, uh, the Matrix of Leadership, you know, the the magic MacGuffin of the Autobots, had been opened and evil had been vanquished, blah, blah, blah. The war was finally over. Optimus Prime basically rides off into the sunset and re- to retirement, which leaves the Autobots, Decepticons, and now a whole bunch of other Cybertronians behind. Because now that the war is over, all of the non-affiliated indigenous life forms, or nails as they refer to them, are coming back to Cybertron, wanting to reclaim their planet, and they hate both the Autobots and the Decepticons equally for the uh-huh. millions of years of conflict they caused. Love that. It was an interesting twist, too, right? It was one of those things like you never expected that to kind of pop up, but yet there it is. And it was just kind of mind-blowing, really. Mm-hmm. And the relaunch actually takes place in two separate comics. And at the same time, it's like, okay, that's kind of cool, but also kind of, eh, why would they do that? They titled them More Than Meets the Eye and Robots in Disguise. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not going to give them points for originality on the naming. Not that, at least. Like At first, I was like, okay, that's kind of nifty. But now that I'm realizing that this is going to be something I go through twice a month with the new releases, (laughs) it's like... And I, I'm constantly getting the two mixed up. I could not tell you which one is which if I didn't have the notes right in front of me. So in the first one that came out, the more than meets the eye, it follows Rodimus. I think they're calling him Rodimus at this point, right? Yeah, it's Rodimus. And his group of, I don't want to say renegades, but they're very idealistic. It's him, Ultra Magnus, uh, Red Alert, Ratchet, a lot of really the, the heart and core of the Autobots that want to leave Cybertron. They found this hidden map inside the Matrix of Leadership that they think can lead them to the mythical Knights of Cybertron and lead in the Golden Age that we've been hearing about since the 80s. And they're just setting off on this galaxy-spanning quest. (laughs) It's just so full of fun, this ridiculous group they've assembled. You have Whirl, who's practically a serial killer at this point. Mm-hmm. Cyclonus, like one of the most evil things in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And my favorite is little Tailgate. <laughs> Tailgate was an Autobot that's been stuck on Cybertron for six million years. He was originally on his way to the original arc, fell down a hole, things happened. He ripped Van Winkled himself into the future and is now every interaction he has is just the highlight of these issues for me. You know what this reminds me of? Like I'm looking at this ragtag band of people and it reminds me of the losers. <laughs> I'll buy that. I mean, you have Rodimus, who's definitely like, okay. What did it for me is in issue number three. Um, you're you're caught up, I assume, yes, correct? Yes. Okay. The Spark Eater, and that smirk he gives <laughs> when he's like, you know, they they find this body and it's got the spark completely ripped out. And you before that, you saw like the panel where the the you know the was basically being sucked out of the body. And then they find it and it's like, did you hear me, Rodimus? There might be a Spark Eater on board. And he just goes. Cool. And I'm like, <laughs> you're clay. You are so clay. But it's it's interesting, too, because we're getting characters that, I mean, Rodimus was a punk kid in the movies, in the movie and the TV show. This he is was just quite possibly the first time in almost 30 years I can say I like Rodimus. Exactly. Exactly. He's not whining. He's not complaining. He's not, oh, I have to have that. No, he's taking charge. He's kicking butt. He's taking names. And he's got a personality. 
Like they have written him into a solid character, and his interactions with uh, Ultra Magnus is just hysterical. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I wonder. Sometimes I wonder how you see us, and then we get the 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 panel from Ultra Magnus's <laughs> point of view, where he's got like the Terminator overlays over you know, everybody's criminal activity. <laughs> Love it. So as the love it. as the ship is leaving Cybertron, and we still don't know why at this point, there's a giant explosion. The, the ship blows up, not blows up, but definitely has some difficulties. Just as it's making the jump to light speed, which is not something you want to do. <laughs> and so basically, Ooh. they're lost somewhere. And I like that it's taking that big adventure style comic of just you literally do not know what's happening next. You at one moment you have skids just showing up out of nowhere fighting these giant I don't even know what to call them. And I'm sure there has to be some significance to the fact that the only thing they say is 1984, which mm-hmm. of course happens to be the year that Transformers premiered in America. <laughs> so, I it's just big stupid fun. I don't want to say stupid, but just a good time adventure that they're telling with these characters yeah it's 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 not a heavy story yeah and one thing i would like to say is the artwork in it is really really cool because it's got a hint of the 80s sketch thing going on Mm -hmm. which i think is absolutely phenomenal and a wonderful nod to the original series some nice slimmed down character designs though not as big as blocky as we're used to basically taking the best of all the various art styles they've used over the decades and really making a cool style with it Absolutely. Now, meanwhile, in the sister comic, Robots in Disguise, we're still on Cybertron with the Autobots under the leadership of, believe it or not, freaking Bumblebee. Why? What do you mean you can't believe it? Come on, it's Bumblebee. He was an awesome soldier all throughout. Come on. Bumblebee. Bumblebee's awesome. Take it back. No, not going to do it. So He's always cooler than Rodimus anyway. (laughs) I'll give you that. (laughs) So Bumblebee and the Autobots are trying to keep the peace on a planet that no longer wants them there. As I said before, the native Cybertronians are coming back. They want both the Autobots and the Decepticons gone. It's a lot of just political unrest. It's a very different style. You're not getting that big grand adventure. Instead, you're getting a very character-driven, plot-heavy story in this one. It is, and it's got the same sort of art style to present it with, which actually really works. And it, it reminds me almost like a Blade Runner deep type story, right? That's very, very almost, I don't want to say noirish, but it's got sort of that flavor to it, to, at least when I'm reading it, that's what I get out of it. And it's literally, you're, you can't ask for anything more. You're, you're literally, you're getting the drama. You're getting pure drama in like every aspect of this comic. And it's awesome because it's such the polar opposite of the other one. I mean, it's, it's just, phenomenal Mm -hmm. so you have the decepticons being used as basically a security force thunderbolt style with bombs implanted in their heads and bumblebee's not afraid to use them let's just say (laughs) no he is not and of course the decepticons being decepticons are trying to take over because that's that's what decepticons do so they have this big plot set up to assassinate bumblebee everything seems to be on point until of all people starscream steps up now, it's not unusual to see Starscream betraying his allies. It is unusual to see Starscream working with the Autobots and betray, mm-hmm. betraying Ratbat and Soundwave and the rest of them. And that was cool. Okay, the, the, the assassination plot was foiled. You get to see Prowl and RC being absolutely awesome. And then at the end, 
it's just Starscream being Starscream. You know, Bumblebee has this great moment of rallying everybody together, and Starscream just jumps up onto stage and joins in with them, trying to capture all the glory for himself. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I absolutely enjoy it. Um, one of my favorite scenes, though, from the entire like entire comics is where you have the graffiti tagger. Mm-hmm. And when he's writing uh, Cybertron for Cybertronians, and he gets his head smashed <laughs> in, it's like, this is your security force. Good job, boys. <laughs> but no, it's just, I'm blown away by both of these comics. And I hate the fact that both are so good, because it means I have to keep buying it. Yeah. It, now, if you want, and you only want to read one, at least through this point, they are perfectly self-contained stories. And yes. given the fact that they're taking place virtually on opposite ends of the galaxy at this point, it's likely they will remain as such for quite a while. So you get your big adventure, your crazy action, or you get your great story and good characters. Either one you can't go wrong with. And again... Especially with Transformers more so than Voltron, there's all this backstory you have to tie together. And, you know, they're kind of picking and choosing the bits of the various lores they want to use. That's okay. But they're doing something new with the IP while Mm -hmm. still being true to the spirit of what's what's made it so famous. And that's that's really the most important part for me is they're staying true to that. They're They're not turning their back on everything that's been established for it, especially because... A lot of people have their favorites, right? You have your favorite Autobot. You have your favorite Decepticon. You have your favorite freaking giant robot. I mean, that's just how it goes. And to see them give like some characters that didn't have such a personality a stronger personality or to give them more dimensions, to give them you know, more depth. And that's one thing that I've noticed on all the characters that, that really speak is it's literally just depth upon depth added to these characters and it's awesome Mm -hmm. so that's wrapping up our discussion for this week as always we're going to move into what we're reading but this week i'd kind of like to give the what we're reading platform to you because our listeners obviously don't get to hear from you that much so i'd be interested in hearing what else you've been going through lately uh i've actually picked up from dynamite as well the dresden files comic book series because they've rekindled that Um, it's dynamite now it's dynamite now Uh, start off with marvel right it started out with Marvel. Marvel released the initial publication for the trade paperback, um, but then they wanted to keep doing trade paperbacks, and mm. they didn't really want to do that. Jim really wanted to do actual comic books of the stories. And so what we're getting is a series of comics that give you the in-between the books. Uh, I am definitely have to check that out then, because I wasn't too yeah. interested in just rereading a story I've already read before, even if it's in a different format. Well, Stormfront will be the same, and the only reason that Stormfront's the same is because Marvel did do a one-to-one, mm-hmm. um, but everything that's coming after that is going to be the in-between bits, like the stuff that happened between each book, the years between the books, the time frames that we are missing, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Like, it's really going to be ramping up. Awesome. So, it's uh, got my attention. Anything else? Ninja Turtles. Which is great, as we've discussed multiple times here. <laughs> Um, and I've also been going through uh, some of the new 52. Um, I've cut. I've Still cut down quite a 52 bit. 52. <laughs> no, I've cut. I've cut down to 25 titles a month. Um, I'm actually looking forward to now. Some of the titles are ending. I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to replace them and if it's going to be any good. Um, and yeah, I'm actually very impressed. Actually, what I've been most impressed with, uh, randomly enough, has been Static Shock. It's actually been very, very good. Well written. Very, very canceled. <laughs> Yeah, which is sad, because it's getting canceled, but it was so good. People should have read the comic. 
Now keep in mind, this is Joe Good, Joe who recommended 48 of the 52 as great reads. <laughs> but, uh, all right. You were great reads. I haven't one. taken on your recommendation yet, but this gives you a great platform to sell me on Batgirl. Batgirl is one of those ones that did not start out very strong. A lot of people didn't like it because she came off as a very weak character, losing everything that made her Barbara Gordon. Here's the thing. After you get into the series, she regains that essence of Barbara Gordon. It's like the light switch clicks, and it really is her overcoming that traumatic moment. And while it could have been presented better in the first, probably explained a little bit better in the first comics, sticking with it, I am so happy. Because I have the smart, sassy, independent, strong Barbara Gordon that I've loved for years. We're getting Oracle with legs at this point. And she is really coming back to her full glory. She has rediscovered herself. She has rediscovered her her ability to fight, her ability to outthink opponents, uh, her ability to use her speed against their size. And you see her in these in the comics measuring herself. At one point, she actually beats up Dick Grayson because he's coddling her. He she actually goes, "I'm a big girl, leave me alone." He's like, "Are you sure? You know, I saw what happened." And she beats the snot out of him <laughs> okay. to the point where he's like, "Okay, you got this. Fine. Well, I'm gonna, just gonna leave you alone." And like, it it really is one of those things where I'm really happy I stuck with it. Because unlike what they're doing with a lot of their female characters, they really turned her around. And they did it properly. They did it smartly. It wasn't completely out of left field. And it really is a story of her overcoming that trauma, that sort of having your entire world shifted on you and reclaiming what's hers. Absolutely phenomenal. All right. So moving on to our new releases, uh, I actually have a pretty short list this week, which – all right. I have a relatively short list this week because the last few weeks have been kind of murderous. From Marvel, I have Amazing Spider-Man 682, part one of the big ends of the Earth storyline, and it lives up so far. We have Fear Itself, the Fearless, number 11. The final issue of Generation Hope, number 17. New Mutants, number 39. Thunderbolts, number 171. Uncanny X-Men, number 9. Wolverine number 303 and X-Factor number 233, as well as the Venom by Rick Remender Volume 1 trade paperback. Have you taken our recommendation on Venom? I have. Actually, I've been very pleased. Awesome. And then from DC, I've got issue 7 for Batman, Green Lantern Corps, Justice League, and Wonder Woman, as well as the third issue of the Diablo miniseries and Hellblazer number 289. So, Joe, I would like to thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me on. Always fun to talk about comics. Okay. And as always, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com, on Twitter at CBinformer. People interested in hearing more of Joe's rants can find him on Twitter at Loder, L-O-D-U-R-Z-J. And we'll see everybody next week. Bye. All right. Good to go. You ready? Ready. What number is this? <laughs> Listen, I've already screwed that up once recently. I can't do it twice in a row. <laughs> Old man would never let you live it down. I think it was like episode 68. I said it was episode 63. <laughs> Just like, what? And I didn't swear. Ah. I, mean, I, I almost swore. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I are. He says I. Uh, I actually had a little note that said PG, 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 PG. (laughs) 
I'm, I had it on my iPad propped up against the monitor, so it was a constant reminder. Right next to your note for Galaxy Force, whatever. No, dude, seriously, that's just, it's <laughs> off the top of my head. I guarantee you, if you look it up, I guarantee you I'm right. All right, all right. <laughs> I don't mess around when it comes to Voltron, sir. 